Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. It is my honor to introduce our speaker today, Pastor Tim McNamee. I think most of us know him and, of course, love him. He and his wife, Kathy, minister uh, through Blue Tassel Farm Ministries, along with James and Jacqueline Miller, his son and daughter-in-law, and what an incredible ministry it is. They minister to youth, to children, to youth, to the homeless that uh, come from the inner city and spend time at uh, the farm. I always think of the verse in the Bible that talks about the least of these. When you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto unto me. And I know their reward is going to be immense when they reach, when they get to heaven. So I am always blessed when Pastor Tim shares with us. So we, um, if you would welcome him, he is going to be sharing the word with us today. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? You good? You feeling strong today? I need some strong people in the house today. You feeling good today? You feeling strong today? It's good to be in the house of God, right? I just checked the thermostat. It's 72 degrees in here. I'm going to raise that to about 80 by the time we're done. All right? It's going to get hot in here today. It's going to get hot up in here today, but we're glad to be here. Glad to see everybody else here. We've got a good-looking crowd today, and it's certainly been uh, some kind of experience for all of us. And uh, I've been preaching around the different places in the state, so we haven't been here very much, but it's good to be here today, and I was glad when Pastor Rick called me. I was sad for the reason that he called me, but always want to be here for this pastor and his wife and this church, this great church that we all have the pleasure of being in. I want to talk today a little bit about faith, and I kind of touched on this when we were doing our discipleship walkthrough, so if you came to to my discipleship class when we were doing that, Uh, We touched on this just a little bit, but I want to talk to you a little bit more about it today. I want to take it just a little bit deeper uh, because I believe that God is on the move. I've been meeting with pastors, um, just talking to them about what it looks like on the other side of the virus, what it looks like on the other side of this whole thing, and we're still in the middle of it. We're not even to the other side yet, but we're still kind of in the middle of it. But on the other side of this, when things do, if they do ever get back to a normalcy, it's going to look different. It's going to look different for our families, for our churches, for our maybe our job places. Uh, all those things that are, are, are different right now, who knows what they're going to look like on the other side of this. But the one thing I do know is that God wants something to look a little different on the other side of this. I think he wants us to be different on the other side of this virus than we were going into it. And so I want to talk to you today that the title of this message, if you want to write down a title, is this. Faith is not in the faucet. So write that down because I think that will be significant as you try to remember some of the points today. Faith is not in the faucet. Thomas Edward Lawrence, born August 16, 1888. He was a British liaison to the Arab rebels who held back Turkish troops in World War I. You would know him better as Lawrence of Arabia. In his book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, he wrote this. During the war, he formed close friendships with many of the sheiks in Arabia. He brought them back to England to show his appreciation. They had a great time. They even met the queen while they were there. But on their last night, 
He offered them anything that they wanted to take back to their desert homes. Anything at all he would provide them to take back to their desert home. They led him into the hotel room where they had stayed for the last few days and took him into the bathroom and into the bathtub and they pointed at the faucet and said, we want to take faucets back with us so we have running water in the deserts. They had no idea that the faucets in and of themselves were worthless. That without a power source, without a supply, that it was useless. They had no idea. All they knew is that the thing that they desired the most was coming out of that faucet. Turn to the book of John chapter 7 with me. Verse 38, I preached, this is funny, I preached uh, at a church in Indianapolis, one of our partner churches, and they're still on a mask mandate. So they asked me to sing, I had to wear a mask to sing. And then they asked me to preach, and I had to wear a mask to preach. And I didn't realize how many times I licked my finger to turn my pages. I just kept hitting the mask, and it was a mess. It was terrible. But I'm glad I can lick my finger and turn my pages today. It's the little things that mean something, right? See, my message today is not to put your faith in the faucet. We know that. We've grown up all of our lives, everybody here knowing that there's a faucet. And maybe as little children, like they were thinking like little children, I'm sure that my little doodle doesn't know that if there was no power source or a power supply or a well on our farm, that water wouldn't come out of the faucet for his bath or to fill up the swimming pool. Later on in life, he will learn that there is a power and there's a source and a resource behind the faucet or the faucet, no matter how pretty you get. I mean, you can go over to Lowe's and get some pretty fancy faucets. And by the way, next week you got to start wearing a mask at Lowe's too, just so you know. So my message today is don't put your faith in the faucet. A faucet can be 24 karat gold, and they have those. Handles made of pure crystal and polished silver. It can turn itself on and off. They have faucets now that when you get within two or three feet of them, they just come on. You don't have to do anything. And when you walk away, they go off. How many just loved it when they came out with the toilets that didn't have handles anymore? I mean, you just walked up, and when you left, it took care of business, right? It can turn itself on and off, but where there is no power, that faucet has no purpose. Where there is no power, we have no purpose. There must be a power source behind the things that we're doing. I ask you if you felt strong today. If you feel strong today, it's because you have a power source inside you. If you feel weak today, you haven't tapped into your power source yet. And we need to tap into that. The first thing I want to say is this. The faucet is necessary to get the the water to where you want it to be, to direct it, to control it, and to dispense it. I don't want to minimize its importance today. It's a valuable vessel. God needs the faucet for the power to run through it. And the faucet for God are human vessels. We are the chosen faucets. We're like that row at Lowe's or Menards, and you see all those faucets, and they're all different. They're all beautiful. They all have different functions. Some of them are a little more simple. Some are a little more complicated, and that represents who we are. Some of us are very simple. I'm a simple guy. I've always preached and always said and always saying that I'm just a simple man. I love that. I want to be simple. I don't want to be complex. I don't want to be too deep. I don't want to be a deep theologian that comes in here and gives you all the Greek words and the Hebrew words. That's not me. I'm just a simple faucet. I'm just someone that just likes it simple. And, and, and I want to take you to a place today where God begins to show us things. And you can hold your place in that, on that verse that I gave you. But see, I, here, here's one thing. Don't take this for granted. 
Listen to me closely, Columbus First Assembly of God. Do not take for granted what just happened on this stage. The power of worship. The willing vessels that stand up here, that practice, that get their skills honed in so that they can take us into the presence of God. I want to tell you something. Not every church has that. And as a traveling missionary, I can testify to that. But when you walk in here, thank God for this worship team. Let them know you appreciate them today, would you? Let them know you appreciate. Because we don't have performers at Columbus First Assembly. We have worshipers. And I've been to performance churches, and I've been where they don't have any worship, but we have worshipers, true vessels that have stood up here and said, I'm going to allow God to flow through me today, through me today. See, it makes no sense. It boggles the mind. It's abnormal behavior. It's an overwhelming, never-ending love and a reckless love that God would use vessels like us. How many times have you let God down? If you held up both hands and both feet, you would be lacking by a few thousand times, right? doesn't make any sense that he would continue to use us as vessels. It doesn't make any sense that he would use Moses, who was a stutterer, to go and free the children of Israel. It makes no sense that he would use David, whose armor didn't even fit, or Timothy, who had ulcers, or, or Jacob, who was a liar. David had an affair. Paul was legally blind. Did you know that? Paul was legally blind. Why use that guy? Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead and God used him. It's amazing. It's reckless, isn't it? That's not who you choose. That's not who you choose to deliver uh, provision. It's crazy, right? John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was Moses, by the way. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I'm just kidding. Jeremiah, he's a good friend of mine. Come on, somebody. He wasn't a bullfrog, but he did battle depression. Why use Jeremiah? Elijah was burned out. Noah got drunk and then some. Did I mention also that Moses had a short fuse? These are the vessels. These are the faucets that form our very faith, that teach us like it's teaching us today. These are the chosen ones, but God doesn't require a job interview. He's not looking for the perfect golden pearl-handled vessel. He doesn't need a job interview for you. He doesn't fire like most bosses do or hire like most bosses do because he's more like a dad than a boss. Now look at John chapter 7, verse 28. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water shall flow from the inmost being of anyone. Everybody say anyone. Anyone who believes in me. You know, before their fame, those guys were just anyone's. Those ladies were just anyone's. But because they were used as chosen vessels of God and willing vessels of God, they now are spoken about in churches all over this world. Week in and week out, we use them as examples of faucets, of vessels. See, God can have all the plumbing in place ready to pour out his blessing on us, our city, and our world, but he needs vessels. He needs faucets. And you say, God needs 
nothing. You're wrong. God needs us as vessels and faucets because he designed it that way. He chose it that way. He made it that way. God can do everything. We know that. He's sovereign. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. I'm not arguing that. What I'm telling you is he set into motion a plan to use vessels to accomplish his will. And we are those for this day. So we can have all the plumbing in place ready to pour out his blessings, his spirit on this city, on this church, on our families. Do you know what God needs most are not just vessels, but willing vessels. You know what aren't willing vessels when you go to Lowe's and you go down that aisle and you see the one you want and you grab it and you try to take it with you? But it's mounted to the wall. It's strapped down. It's not a willing vessel. You got to search the boxes and find the one that matches the code. You got to figure out which vessel is willing to leave the store with you that day. And it's never the one that's strapped down by someone else. It's the one who has made themselves free to be chosen, to be taken, and to be used. Is that us today? Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 6. Listen, as you're turning there, God is willing and very able to pour out his incredible blessings. There's not an issue there. There's not a willing issue. There's not a capability issue. God is there and he's ready. And in this six-verse story that we're going to talk about, you will see three characters of importance. And, and I want you to get these. Number one, a desperate mother and a widow. Sherry talked about our ministry and who we minister to. And, and uh, right here is the definition of who God's called us to. Desperate mothers and widows, single moms, widows. It's a big part of what we do and who we minister to and who we have for a long time. This week was, was pretty amazing. Uh, I signed up in Jennings County through a little thing, kind of like a Help Columbus thing. It's just called uh, Community Opportunities. So every now and then I'll get a text or I'll get an email saying, here's a need in our community, can you meet that need? And it goes out to a lot of people, not just me. First one that responds, you know, we, we go and take care of that problem. And I got a, uh, information about a single mom. Well, she wasn't a single mom. That's what it said. But she was married and had a small child. And we got word that the child was sick and an invalid. And so for about 30 days prior to that, our central air unit went out. And I had three different air conditioner guys come out, try to fix it. So about 30 days later, we finally get it fixed. But in the meantime, I got window units all over that farmhouse. I mean, we are, we're not going to suffer unless we have to. That's my, that's my motto. So we bought these extra window units and knowing we would use them later for the cabins um, up in the corral. And uh, so got this call and I, I called it back and said, I'll take care of this need. And... Uh, so talked to the mom, and I said, what's the need? She said, well, our, our central air is out. Landlord can't fix it for 10 days. We just need to borrow a window unit, maybe a fan. I said, okay, no problem. I uh, talked a little bit more to her and found out what the real need was. We, we, uh, I talked to Kathy, and I said, hey, you know, just with what we just went through and the misery that we were going through with our, without our air conditioning, I believe God's telling us to take this window unit over there. And uh, so we did, and, and I took it over one night and took them a fan. I took them a little bit of money for the medicine that they didn't have for their child. They had both lost their jobs. They didn't have an invalid child. They had an invalid parent, a father who was staying in this one room, and it was just 100 degrees inside that house. It was just, and I want to be honest with you, 
It brought me back to a place to remind me of the things that God has called us to do. And we've been put on hold by pandemics and rain and drought and all kinds of things that have kept us from having the retreats that we wanted to have up to this point. But I want to tell you something. I walked into that house and I just saw the very same thing I've seen in the inner city my whole life. The house was in deplorable conditions. It was terrible. Animals everywhere. It smelled bad. I couldn't hardly breathe. Uh, I put the window unit in, gave him the fan, and, and got out of there about as quick as I could. But it reminded me of my calling. It reminded me that people are out there living in those kind of conditions and not really even understanding that they're living in those kind of conditions, that we would call something like that a condition. But it is. How we live is a condition. And as we talked a little bit more about that and decided that we were going to help in that area, I got another call. I've been working with a a lady out of Prison Fellowship, and they do Angel Tree. If you guys are familiar with Angel Tree, at Christmas time, they're children of incarcerated parents, and we try to give them Christmas gifts. Maybe this church has done this. I don't know. We did it my whole career in the inner city. But they started something new about three years ago called Angel Tree Camp. And they're looking for ministries like ours that will bring in kids of incarcerated parents and do weekend retreats for them, three- and four-day camps for them. So I went and I visited one out in New Albany, and they were just doing a fantastic job. And again, it became flooding back to me. And I'm going I'm to touch on this a minute in a dream that God gave me the other night. I'm not sure it was a dream or it was a discipline session, one of those two things. But I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I realized, I went back and I said, Kathy, we've got to do this. It lines up exactly with our mission and trying to help these kids and people living in poverty. So I want to set you up with those couple of quick stories because God will remind you of your purpose if you kind of lose sight every now and then. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 6. So we've got a, we've got a desperate mother and a widow. That's the first thing you'll see. You have a confident prophet. Confident. I like to come to the pulpit confident. I don't want to get up here shaky or, or worried or, or unsure. I don't want to deliver a poor product for Pastor Rick while he's gone. I want him to know that he can trust me in his pulpit to deliver God's word. I want to come here, and I want to be strong for God. You had a confident prophet. And number three, and most importantly, there's a provisional God in this story. So look at it with me, if you will, 2 Kings chapter 4. Actually, look at verse 1. It says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. How would you like to get that notice in the mail? You get a final notice from the IRS, that's pretty bad. You get the the sheriff saying there's a warrant out for your arrest, that's pretty bad. That happened to me a couple years ago. Didn't know why, figured all that out. But she gets this word. They're coming for my kids. My husband just died. And you know that he loved God. You know that he gave his life to God. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. 
So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought all the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now there's three things that leap off the pages if you're reading this the way that I am. Number one, although she was desperate, she knew her dead husband's willingness to serve God would bring a blessing to her home. She didn't just go and say, my husband's dead. Woe is me. Help me, please. She went knowing that a man who had given his life in serving God as a vessel had to bring value of some sort even through his death. Remember, Lazarus was dead and God used him. Here's another example. So she says, although my husband's dead, I know that because he served God, there'll be a blessing to our home. Number two, there was no delay in Elisha's play. He didn't take up a love offering. He didn't develop a benevolence committee. He didn't go out and solicit funds. He just said, this is what you need to do. What do you have to give? Do you notice that when he talks to her, he doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry for your circumstance, so sorry for your situation. We're just going to love on you and give you everything. That's not the way you help people in poverty. That's not the way you help people in the inner city. You say, what is it that you have to give? And let's build on that. And when they're willing to give everything left that they have, then God will do the miraculous. She said, nothing but a jar of oil. He said, good. Gather all the available vessels from everywhere and don't get just a few. Gather just a few. That's not what I want you to do. I want you to get vessels from everywhere. I want you to knock on all the doors. Bring vessels into the house. Pour your oil into each vessel, setting them aside as they become full. Here's another thing you notice. She didn't question the prophet. She's like, what? why? What's that going to do? Fill my house with a bunch of empty vessels? How's that going to help me? She didn't question the prophet. She didn't complain. She just did it. She was willing. Listen, some of us are getting ready to or are already facing decisions about provision. Right? We're going through it at the farm. I know families are struggling. I know other families have stepped up to help. People have stepped up to help us at the farm. But we are struggling for provision. Now, is it provision that called us to the farm? No. It's the provider. And see, we don't need to have trust in provision. We need to have faith and trust in provider. That if he called us, if he's called you, if he's sent you missionaries, if he's told you right here in this city what to do, and you're struggling for resources, don't get faint-hearted. Don't put your faith in provision. Put your faith in the provider. You're desperate like the widow, but are you willing like the widow? It's okay to feel the pressure. It's not okay to give in to the pressure. It's okay to feel it and even have it drive you to your knees to talk to your provider about provision. There's nothing wrong with that. But it can't come with fear. Don't be afraid. 
You're afraid if you put your faith in your provision. You won't be afraid if you put your faith in your provider. It drives away fear. You're going you're gonna to run to seek God's glory, to seek godly counsel. That's what you're supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what today's for. I mean, if you need prayer about something at the end of the service, you should be up here at these altars to the sides and, and, and pray and talk to your provider. There's nothing wrong with that. But will you be willing to take the advice and direction that he gives you? See, a lot of people never pray or come to the altar because they're afraid of what they're going to hear. If I go down there, I know exactly what God's going to tell me I need to do. I am. He's going to tell me I need to do this. Well, then you probably should already be doing it because he's already told you. I have people come to my office and say, Pastor, they tell me the issue. Will you pray about this for us? And I say, nope. No reason to pray. It says right here what you're supposed to do. I can show it to you in Scripture. Why do we need to waste God's time? He's got other people that need his ear right now when he's already told you what to do. It's already clear in black and white. Will I pray that you have strength and confidence to follow what's written? Oh, yeah, I'll pray that all day long. And I'll encourage you all day long. But to pray for something he's already given us the answer to, does that make any sense? Not to this simple guy. So the question is not, do you need godly counsel or should you seek godly counsel, even when it comes to provision or health or whatever it might be? The issue is, will you take the advice that you're given? 90% of the issues I give counsel to do not require a miracle, just a willing vessel. Oh, pastor, I need a miracle. No, you just need to be willing. I need God to rain down and do something in this situation. He has. He sent you. 90% of all the counsel that I give don't require that miracle. I'm all for miracles. I've seen miracles happen in my life. I've seen miracles happen in my ministry. But miracles come due on God's date, not on my desire. God's going to do a miracle in my life. He's already got it planned. He's already got the date picked and the time. Do I need to pray? Yes, because he tells me to pray. Someone willing to give up something that they have to gain what they need is the person who is going to see the miracles of God in their life. Let me say that again. Someone willing to give up something that they have to gain what they need is the person that will see the miracles of God in their life. The widow gave everything she had. She had one thing left to save her sons. And it was a jar of oil. And the third thing is this. Can anything stop God from blessing us? I mean, come on, you're, you're students of the word. Can anything stop God from blessing us? And I'm going to tell you, only God himself can stop him from blessing us if he wants to. That's God. Only God as it was with the widow, it is with man today. Look at verse 6 again. This is what it says. It says, now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now, I want you to get this today. If you don't get anything else, please, please get this today. For your life, for your church, for your family. The only thing that stopped the flow of oil was the lack of another vessel. 
You hear me today? The only thing that stopped the flow of the oil that day for that widow was because there wasn't another willing vessel. How do you keep yourself to be a willing vessel? It means that you have to continue to pour yourself out into your family, into your life, into your finances, into your community, into your church. Because if your vessel is full, God's going to stop. I put a post on Facebook yesterday. just kind of hit me as I was working on this message. I don't even know if I can remember, but it went something like this about God's provision. Should God's provision be drawing interest or stirring it? Let that sink in for a minute. Should God's provision, what he's given us, should it be in a bank account somewhere just drawing interest or should it be stirring up interest in the kingdom of God? I'm a believer, and if you got it, get it out there and make it work for God because it's his anyway. I know there's a balance, and we should check our balance, and I'm not saying you shouldn't save. God bless everybody that's doing that. I think it's a smart move. But if you're saving more than you're using, I believe your balance needs to get back in check. For us to see God move in our lives, we need to keep our vessels empty so that he will continue to send the oil. He'll continue to keep it full. The only thing that stopped the flow that day, if she'd have had 100 more vessels, 100 more would have been filled. The only thing that stopped the flow of the blessing of God is that there wasn't a willing vessel left in the room. And you got to ask yourself, are there willing vessels left in this room? Are we pouring ourselves out with our faith? Are we pouring ourselves out with our witness? Are we pouring ourselves out with our testimonies? Are we keeping the jar half full that God will keep it full for us? That when we wake in the morning and we've spent 75% of everything that we are, when we wake up in the morning, it's dripping over the top again. Don't ask me to explain why God decided to use imperfect vessels to accomplish his perfect will. It doesn't make sense to me that God who can do all things would choose to restrict himself to moving through imperfect, flawed inconsistent humanity, but he did, and I don't have the right to question his decision. I'm like the willow, I'm, widow. I'm not going to question the great prophet. I'm going to try to just do what he asked me to do. I don't know uh, why the creator chooses to move through his creation, but he does. That's why our motto at Blue Tassel Farm is teaching the love of God through creature and creation. God will use a goat to save a child. He used a chicken to make a difference. I'm not kidding. If God is always seeking for men and women through which to move, don't you want to be the one that he finds? At the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. He was filling vessels that day. Read the story. They weren't all human. Everything in the room got filled. Because God is pouring out his blessing and his provision. God needs vessels because he set it into motion that way. He said, I'm going to save this world. I'm going to bring about heaven and earth. I'm going to bring all that about. Everything that you've read about, everything you hope for the future, God's going to bring it about. And guess what? He's going to use people to do it. Perfect and imperfect. The only perfect one was Jesus. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, he's done his part. It's time for us to do ours. The imperfect, it's time for us to rise. 
to get over ourselves, to get over the things that we struggle with. We're going to struggle. We're going to continue to struggle. But we need to fight through the struggles to make ourselves and keep ourselves as willing vessels for God. Ezekiel said that God was seeking a man to stand in the gap to make up the hedge. You know what that means? That means so that there's a barrier to make up the hedge, to fill in the gaps so the enemy can't slip in between the cracks. When the Lord struck Saul from his horse on the road to Damascus, he then told Saul, go see Ananias. He will tell you what to do. God used a human vessel to put the great apostle Paul on the road to write most of the New Testament and to change humanity forever. You say, well, he did, you know, knock him off his horse. Didn't seem like he was very willing. When I was a freshman in high school, God hit me in the head with a concrete floor to change my vision. Took most of my vision. That's why I'm legally blind today. But I will tell you this. He took away physical vision to implant spiritual vision. Because he knew the path that I was going to go down wasn't the one he intended for me. So he took away the one thing that could supply me with the thing I thought I wanted. And he replaced it with spiritual vision that gave me everything I never knew that I needed. He's a good God. In the book of Revelation, John says that God, because he could find no man to open the book of salvation, so God himself took on the form of man to bring redemption. Can I tell you something? If you won't do it, it ain't going to stop him. If you won't do it, he'll do it himself. Do you understand how important you are to the work of God? God will not move without a vessel. Even if he's got to send his only son, he's going to use a vessel. Tuesday night, I believe it was, Kathy, right? Tuesday or Wednesday night. I went to bed early because I was wrestling with God. If you've not been on my Facebook page, I encourage you to go there. You can read more of the whole story um, of what happened to me Tuesday night. I'll give you a little glimpse today. But just go to my name under Facebook and you can see that story. Tuesday night I went to bed. I've been wrestling with God. You know, I'm not opposed to wrestling with God. I'm not opposed to yelling at God. I'm not opposed to having a good old argument with God. It's, it's not always, I never win. And it's never really smart. But sometimes I just get to that place. Can I get an amen? Anybody else ever been there? So I was wrestling with God on some issues. And some of it was faith and and the things that helped me uh, put this sermon together, to be quite honest with you. And I'm wrestling with God, and all of a sudden, I'm on the floor, on my back, in pain. Because when a 310-pound man falls out of bed, it, it don't matter if it's 2 feet or 20 feet. You, you're not going to come out of that unscathed. So I fell out of bed, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And Kathy said, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And I, and I scrambled to get back in bed. My head was bleeding. I was sore everywhere. And I got back into bed, and I, I began to think more about the things I've been wrestling with God with. And, it, of course, it took me to the greatest wrestling match ever when Jacob took on God himself. And so I pulled up those scriptures. Let me just read to you what, what God gave me to read. I pulled it up right there on my phone. It says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that he was wrenched as he wrestled with him. 
Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and have overcome. Now, as I began to think more and more about my my situation, when I was falling out of bed, I'm not kidding, this is vivid. I was falling out of bed. It was like I was falling 100 feet. Remember that old uh, uh, Saturday morning uh, land for the lost where they're falling down the waterfall? And they're just falling and falling, and it's as cheesy as it can be. They're moving their legs and their arms, and they're falling in the land of the lost. You know, and I felt like, when am I going to hit? I was grabbing for everything. And there's only a foot and a half between my bed and the wall and my nightstand. And I fill up that foot and a half, I'm going to tell you, just honestly. But I couldn't touch anything. I'm reaching for everything. I know the bed's there. I should be able to grab a blanket. I know the window ledge is there. I should be able to grab a curtain. I should be able to grab something. And I'm just falling and falling and falling and falling and boom. And like I said, the next day I woke up, my head was still trickling a little bit of blood with this little scar here. I crashed into the nightstand. My shoulder hurt a little bit. And I'm going to say this to you as some kind of religious fanatic. But the only thing that really hurt on my body was my right hip. And for the last three days, I've walked with a limp. It's better. It's getting better. It's better today. It's better, better today than it has been. You say, ah, oh, you're just making that up. No, I'm telling you. The only place I felt real pain was in the socket of my hip, deep pain. And it hit me this morning as I was praying. We applaud Jacob for his perseverance, and we should. There's a great lesson to be learned from a man who will say, I'm not going to stop with you, God, until I get my blessing. That's perseverance. And we should applaud that, and we should teach that, and we should practice that. Our great pastor teaches us those things week in and week out. But it hit me today when he said, your name is now Israel, which means met with God or battled with God. It hit me today that it wasn't just perseverance that allowed him to overcome. Listen, I'm not making up these words. It says he overcame God. It wasn't just his perseverance, but he had no power. Listen to this. He had no power to overcome God for except the power that was given to him by God. Think about that for a minute. We applaud him for overcoming. But he had no power in and of himself to even overcome. Because if you have power of perseverance, it's given by God. If you have power to overcome the struggle, it's provided by God. If you woke up today, you're here because of God. He had no power in and of himself other than the power that flowed through him by the same God he was trying to overcome. So no matter what, and get this today, in everything, God wins. In everything. Nothing can happen without him. Nothing. The fact that you're sitting down and not floating to the ceiling is because the power of gravity that comes from God. 
20 pounds or 300 pounds without gravity, we're all up on the ceiling like a mylar balloon, hoping one day we get to float back down. Nothing happens without God. Nothing. God will not pour out His Spirit without a faucet for it to flow through. You and I are the faucets because He designed it that way and He's chosen us. A smart faucet acknowledges God as His true source of power. I knew that when I was falling, I knew that when I woke up and God was working on me with Scripture and everything else, that God was reminding me through that child that I was able to help through that mom and that elderly man who needed medicine and needed an air conditioner, I knew that God was reminding me, don't give up. I know there's been pandemics and there's been rain and there's been droughts and that's kind of delayed what you thought your plan was, but don't give up because there's people that need you. And by the way, there's a bunch of kids who have incarcerated parents that I'm going to need you to do something with. I know that's why. He slammed me to the ground. See, I didn't fall out of bed. Someone picked me up and did a, what do they call that, a suflex or something, and just slammed me down on the floor. If I fell out of bed, I'd have had a, maybe a bruise. I want to tell you something. I went over the ropes, through a table, and somebody hit me with a ladder and a chair. That's, what I, that's how I look at it. Because if you're going to wrestle with God, be careful what you ask for. And he reinstilled, and, and it was just... It was just for my own personal faith to say, don't, don't worry. Don't start getting anxious on me. We got this, and it's in my time. I'm a faucet, but I must remember that there is no magic in me. There's no magic in the faucet. It's what's behind the wall. It's the plumbing that is connected to the provider that gives power to the faucet to be poured out onto others. To provide provision. It's the power supply. Ever gets shut off behind the wall. Who's ever had their water shut off? You didn't just go out and buy a new faucet, did you? I mean, you got this notice from the water company. Or, or in our case, we haven't had rain in a long time. And yesterday we ran out of water in the well. Now it will build itself back up. We were using it to water the garden and fill the pool and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? When the water ran out, we didn't panic and say, man, we got to dig another well. We didn't, we didn't go to every room and start turning on every faucet. Oh, my gosh, this one doesn't work either, and this one doesn't work either. What are we going to do? Because there's no power in the faucet. It's in the provider. It's in the plumbing that he flows through so that he can flow through you and me. I may still be able to preach and appear that everything is okay. I may still look like to you I've got it together, but without a power supply, I'm nothing. I can't walk in here and hold a microphone without him. We try and we work and we're, we're imperfect and, and we're like Paul. The things we want to do, we don't do, and the things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, was struggling with those things. But he never lost his faith in the power behind the faucet. He knew that he was a vessel that God was using to pour out to the Romans and the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Corinthians and the Galatians. He knew that God was going to use him to do great things no matter how imperfect he was. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the 
excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's a treasure. The power is God, and I am only an earthen vessel. I can't sing well enough. I can't preach well enough. I can't organize well enough to duplicate what the power and only the power of God can do. It's not in me. It's not in any of us. It's through us. It's through us. You don't have to turn to all these scriptures because we don't have time, but Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think soberly according to as God has dealt it. Every man has a measure of faith. Every man. One of the greatest things I've ever discovered was at Lowe's last week. Not a faucet. But I've been troubled. I've been working on, I've been troubled seeing things, smaller things. I'm still, my eyes are still scoring high enough to drive and no problem there and all that. But Kathy's, you know, she's, she's my honey and she's got a honey-do list. Can I get an amen out there? So, She's my honey, so she said, hey, could you build me a screened in portion? I'm like, yeah, I think I can do that. I thought it'd take me about two weekends. How many have been? Six, seven? I don't know what's done, but it's been way longer than that. And part of the reason is that I couldn't see the 16th of an inch and the 8th inch anymore in the ruler. And I have some pretty big tape measures. So I went online, and I said, tape measures for legally blind people. I didn't think anything would come up, and boom, there it was. They got ones that you can pull out. Now, they're 100 bucks, so I don't have one yet. But you pull it out, and it tells you what the measurement is. That is 9 inches and 3 sixteenths. That's a little overkill. I said, what else you got? So I looked at this other. It's made by Lufkin. Any of my tool guys out there, Lufkin has some good tape measures. So I looked this up, and I'm like, oh, that might work. So I went to Lowe's. I said, they're not going to have it. You have to order it, I'm sure. But there it was. And I grabbed that tape measure. It's black. And you know where it's usually yellow? The tape itself is yellow. It was black with bright green stripes and numbers. And I'm not kidding. I heard the angels sing when I pulled it out. It was like, it was crazy. A tape measure that I was holding this close to my eyes before, trying to put in a screened-in porch, I'm holding out here. My eyes didn't get better. My provision got better. I, I wish you'd have healed my eyes. I would have taken that too. But and, and not only that, listen, Rob, I tell you, you pull it out, it's 24 feet, it's beautiful. And then when you turn it over on the back side, I've never seen this in a ruler in my life. The measurements are up and down. Not sideways, but they're up and down. Big old claw you can put your foot on. I love that too. And you pull it up, and the measurements are reading up and down. Same distance, but I don't have to go like this to see what the measurement is. I'm telling you. Go get yourself one, even if you see good. You'll feel better about yourself. I'm not kidding. You'll probably build something. See, the danger we face is when we try to duplicate through mere human efforts what can only be produced by God. Preachers get into trouble when they learn how to preach. I'm going to tell you this straight up. When we learn how to preach, we get in trouble. Singers get into trouble when we learn how to sing. Stay with me. Teachers get into trouble when we learn how to teach. We must never reach that point where we learn how to do what only God can truly do. I I can preach, yeah, I'm a good preacher, I'm a good singer, I'm a good teacher. 
You better humble yourself because you can't even talk without him. And too often, we learn how to do things and we get comfortable and we don't need God anymore. I can get it. I mean, when I first started preaching, I was a mess, right, honey? I was a mess. I think she counted the time, first time I preached something like, I said, um, like 90 times. Um, um, um. I meant gum, 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 but nobody had any. Nobody, nobody would respond. But when we preach and when we sing and when we worship and when we serve, we do it with God flowing through us and we don't need to be doing it at all. We need God flowing through us as willing vessels. I want to close with this. And worship team, you guys can come on up. In the year 1847, a doctor from Edinburgh, not Indiana, Sir James Simpson, discovered chloroform. And he discovered that it could be used as an anesthetic to render people insensible to the pain of surgery. Oh, man, we ought to be grateful for chloroform. From his early experiments, Dr. Simpson made it possible for people to go through the most dangerous operations without fear of pain or suffering. Some people even claim that he was the most Significant, it was the most significant discovery in modern medicine at the time, maybe ever. Not a healer, but something that provides for you to be healed without pain. Wow. Some years later, while lecturing at the University of Edinburgh, Dr. Simpson was asked by one of his students, What do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? To the surprise of his students, who had expected him, To refer to chloroform, Dr. Simpson replied, My most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus Christ was my Savior and He was my only hope. We need more famous people saying that today. We need more people of influence saying that today. We need to make sure our kids hear us say that today. That our grandkids hear us say that today. That the people that are lost in the city of Columbus hear us say that today. Hear us preach that today. The most significant discovery that you will ever want in your life is when you find out that you're a sinner and Christ is the Savior. The most valuable discovery that you and I can discover this morning is the very same thing. That no matter how smart we think we are, how good we think we are, how powerful we think we are, we are a bag of dirt without God. I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. There is no power in me. I am just the faucet, the conduit, the vessel through which His power flows. So the question for us today is this, guys. How's your vessel looking today? When you were getting ready for church this morning, did you look over at your vessel and say, oh, you're good, you're full, just like last week? I don't need, I don't need God to do anything this week. No, I'm, I'm full. I want to encourage you today. I know it's going to be 95. You don't have to do it today, but maybe you should. Go empty your vessel someplace. Go to a restaurant, walk up and pay for somebody's food. Say, God bless you. One of the most powerful things we did 
in the inner cities, we had these cards made, and they had the scale of justice on the front. And a lot of churches have done this. not my original idea. On the back, it says, John 3.16, your debt's been paid. Maybe you guys have done this in the past. You can make up your own on your computer. You can go home and do it today. By evening time, you can drive through McDonald's, pay for your meal, tell the cashier, I want to pay for the car behind me, and pay for theirs. And then hand her that card and say, will you give this to the car behind me when they pull up to get their food? Your debt's been paid. Empty your vessels. God convicted me when this virus hit to do something called ministry is where you make it. I simply took my guitar out and I sat in front of businesses as people were coming in and out, sitting in Walmart parking lot, Sanders Grocery in Delhi, O'Reilly. And I was just praying, love, singing love songs to Jesus right out in the parking lot. People would stop, talk to me. Even some of them tried to give me money. Some of them forced money on me. But I just wanted to go out and empty my vessel. I didn't want to sit around while people couldn't go to church anymore. While people couldn't go to dinner anymore. While people couldn't get out and fellowship with their friends and their families. Couldn't even get together with, with friends and families. Birthdays passed and and anniversaries pass and we haven't been able to get to and people are passing in the hospital and a husband can't even be with his wife while she's dying. Christians, we have to go out and empty our vessels. And God will continue the flow. I don't, I don't have the strength, Pastor Tim, I'm working too many hours. Let God provide the strength. I'm not talking about going out for a 10-hour day. I'm talking about sitting someplace for a half hour, walk into a restaurant, pay for somebody's meal. I don't know. There's a thousand different ways you can empty your vessel. But I'll tell you this. If your oil's getting stale, it's because it's been setting too long. Today, I just want to pray for you. If you bow your heads with me and pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church, God. But the church is a building, Lord. We know that. And it's a great building, and it's a great provision. I feel the coolness of your spirit in here today. But God, the church is your people. And God, we are your vessels today. So I want to challenge this congregation, not just for this week, but from this point on, if they've not been already, to empty their vessels and to trust you to fill it. We're going to leap out and do this angel tree thing even when we're not ready. Because we trust you that you sent us the message through a dream. and We just trust you, God. We want to be like the willow, widow. We just want to give you everything we've got. And I pray that blessing on every person in this room. I pray it on them right now. And God, they will analyze their own vessels and do accordingly. I'm not here judging anybody because I don't know their vessel condition. I just know mine. I just know mine. And so, God, I just thank you today for an opportunity to bring your word in this wonderful home that we call Columbus First Assembly. Thank you for the time we've had of worship where we could kneel at your feet and just love on you. Just love on you. God, we want to heal your heart, too. We know how bad it hurts as humanity continues to fade and fall. And while we know you told us it would happen, that doesn't mean it hurts you any less. We love you, God. And we thank you. And we praise you. Amen. I am. Um...
You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.